the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. And Welcome, and thanks for once again tuning in to this brand new episode of Sake on Air, the world's very first podcast dedicated to expanding the dialogue surrounding Japan's iconic beverages of sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts, and I'm one of your regular hosts here on the show, and we are broadcasting this week, as always, from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center here in the heart of Tokyo. This past autumn, something really special came into being that we here at the show thought all of our sake and shochu loving friends and listeners really ought to appreciate. The Digital Kokushu Museum is something that offers a rather particular glimpse into the ongoing evolution of tradition and culture surrounding Japan's iconic and long celebrated koji fermented beverages, sake, mirin, and shochu, collectively referred to as kokushu. Should you find yourself with the opportunity to visit some of the many sake breweries or shochu distilleries scattered across Japan, you'll find that there are often rooms and occasionally entire buildings just brimming with sake and shochu related artifacts, from retro advertisements and signboards, to vintage glassware and merch, and even volumes upon volumes of historical texts. The Digital Kokushu Museum is a small but significant step in taking centuries of both physical and digital paraphernalia representing the evolution of Japan's kokushu culture and curating it into an easy to navigate and insightful digital online format. We were rather curious as to exactly how one would even begin to go about approaching such a daunting and gargantuan task. To find out, we invited the project's director and curator, Ms. Miho Ota, over to the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center to sit down with us and share in the process, as well as the discoveries that she and the team at JSS made along the way. So with that, let's just go ahead and jump right into the show. First and foremost, Marie Nagata. Hi, everyone. What's shaking? How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's actually my first time being back here at the Japan Sake Shochu Information Center for a recording. So... Mm. Yeah, just a little clumsy yeah. setting everything up and being back on the mic, but very excited. Right? I say, yeah, we did the we did the live stream a couple a couple sessions back, but like to actually sit down yeah. and do this, I can't actually can't remember the last time we did this. So yeah, we've been we've been zooming it up for yeah. for for a good chunk of time. So we're we're still kind of we're kind of getting our bearings here and working through some technical difficulties, but I think it's all going to work out. And yeah, this week we have another special guest uh, joining us uh, for this topic specifically. Uh, for some of you may or may not have noticed that recently the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center opened up online uh, what they call the Kokushu Digital Museum. And I imagine probably a lot of people have no idea what Kokushu is. It probably <laughs> means very little to a lot of people, but it, if you are interested at all in the world of sake and shochu. It is not only a word that you should be familiar with, but it is this digital museum is actually a really, really interesting resource. And I had heard for a while that this is something that, that was going to be put together eventually. Um, hadn't followed it all that closely. And then all of a sudden it was here one day, just a few months ago. And I went, wow, this is 
great. I, it would be nice if other people knew that this was available because it's just a really, really neat collection of resources um, that just shed a really, a really fascinating and enjoyable um, light on sort of the world of sake and shochu. And so in order to share that and tell people about it, as opposed to just posting it on Twitter or something, we thought we'd pull in the individual responsible for helping curate and put this together. And that is Miss Miho Ota, who is joining us here today as well. <laughs> Thank too. you for joining us today. <laughs> Thank you for inviting. <laughs> and just before we get started, just a quick public service announcement. If any of you listeners want to actually look at the website as you listen to this episode, head on over to kokushu-museum.com. Mm -hmm. I think you'll appreciate this episode a lot more if you actually had the visuals in front of you. Yeah, you can scroll along with us on your, on your phone, on your commute home or whatever. True. So, so yeah. So with that out of the way, yeah. you want to go ahead and... Yeah. Tell, tell us just a little bit about yourself real quick. Why of, Me. yeah, the Japan Saki and Shochu Information decides to put a Kokushu Digital Museum together. Where where did you come from? Where how how did you end up in the, in this in this in this position? How did you stumble in this rabbit hole? Um, well, I worked last year. I worked for JSS, writing mm. contents for their official sake global sake websites. Mm. Uh, so I knew that this this project was going to happen at some point. Mm. I just didn't know that it was going to happen so soon. Then I left JSS to work as a freelancer, mm. and I saw that this was happening. So as a team, we um, kind of applied for the, the position, and, and luckily we, we got it. Nice, nice, nice. When you say as a team, the team being? So the team being... Um, so I was in charge of the, the content, and there is a web designer and system engineer and also a team to localize the material from Japanese to English. Yeah. So it's just a team of yeah. four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. And then I imagine a lot of thoughts and feelings and insight from the folks at J from the Japan Saki and Shochu Yes, they, they gave us a lot of uh, uh, supervision and feedback, yeah. and and actually a lot of uh, a lot of people helped. Um, Danjo Warasan, um, mm. who is the director of Saki Museum in Nada, who helped us a lot and uh, helped us access materials um, that we didn't know existed, and also um, Sugawara Sensei and Hata Sensei for writing the commentary for the ukiyo-e part, mm. and uh, Sakaguchi-san, uh, who is the a curator at Ad Museum Tokyo for writing the commentary for the advertisement and uh, kokushu. Nice. So, and cool. a lot of breweries and distilleries around the country for providing and, and allowing us to use their materials mm -hmm. uh, for this website. So, where where does your interest in sake come in in all this? You've before you started doing this stuff. You, what's your relationship with? Just sake, well, shochu in general. First and foremost, drinking. <laughs> um, An avid consumer of... <laughs> yes, a big fan. Um, but I've always been interested in the culture and the cultural history of these drinks. So I was, I was very interested personally to take on a project like this. Um, so yeah, it was almost like a dream project for me. Very cool. To, yeah to be able to have time to pursue something that I've 
I'm actually curious about. Nice. Very cool. And in the past, you've been doing some creative direction and that sort of work. Is that in your kind of in your wheelhouse or in your? Right. I do mostly writing and uh, editing as well as a little bit of translation and yeah. interpretation, yeah. Uh, but never really curated mm -hmm. anything like this before. So. Yeah. Mm. Yes. A new experience. <laughs> a very new experience. <laughs> Had you been working with sake prior to taking on your previous position with um, JSS or? Uh, on and off, just uh, not so fully in the industry. Uh, I've done a lot of interpretation and translation. I have also published uh, a little booklet <laughs> about sake. About for, sake? For um, English speakers who are interested in sake. But that's just more like a, a passion project. So, yeah. cool, cool. good things come from passion projects. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say. Right. No, so you came to the table prepared because I was just looking through the digital museum, and this is a lot of ground to cover. It's not just about sake, but you know, historical, cultural elements, which we're going to talk about more in detail later on. But just wondering, you know, if you came from like a sake background or what, and because pretty much like you know you would have to go from zero to hero in this. Right. <laughs> right. So I was I was drinking a lot of sake, and I do a lot of travel writing. So mm. um, that kind of puts me in a position to research a lot about the, the culture, like local culture, uh, local culture involving sake, and local history. So it was like a natural progression for you to go from local history to local beverages to mm -hmm. sake. Yes. Cool. So let's kind of let's dig into this a little bit here. So sure. We, let's we got to get one important question out of the way. What is kokushu? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do tell. So it's it's a word <laughs> that um, indicates sake, honkaku shochu, awamori, and home meeting. So it's it's the traditional Japanese alcoholic beverages. Yeah. And there is no other word that points to those drinks in, in one word alone. Uh, and it's not a familiar word for Japanese people either. And, um, but here we just use it out of convenience mostly. Yeah. And, um, hopefully people will recognize the word more yeah. <laughs> in the future. But yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, literally. I mean, it's like the alcoholic beverages of the nation is essentially yeah, like, like what it what it translates to, right? The national beverage. Right? Yeah. So it's 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 an it's a it's a neat word, you know. Mm -hmm. And right, anybody who hears it in Japan, whether it's a word they use or not, is a different yeah, conversation. No but if they were to see it or hear it, they go, "Okay, I know what that is." Right. You know? It's true. You can recognize that it's something to do with alcoholic beverage and the country. Right. Yeah. So but it's but it, it becomes a bit challenging for, for those who are searching for it. If you type sake museum, you you may not stumble true. upon the Kokushu right. the Kokushu Digital Museum immediately. So right, right, um, right. so if you wanna for those listening, you know, take that take that vocabulary and and, and log that in your database there. Like you know, if you if you search for Kokushu, you might actually find inf in interesting information here. here and right, there. right. You can add that to your topic. list of like regular Google search yes, vocabulary. Yes. It basically just means sake, shochu, aomori, and homiri. 
right? So mm. the content encompasses all of those things. Mm-hmm. So what were you tasked with at the beginning when they said, right. we would like for you to make this digital museum happen? What, what were the goals that were set out kind of at the outset? Right. So I think initially um, what they had in mind was for sake and shochun and oh, for... So they have official websites for the drinks itself. Mm. Uh, there's a sake website, there's shochun and awamori website. So the basic information about the drink uh, or drinks are covered. Yeah. Um, but there are so many more um, stuff, so much more stuff about these drinks, you know, like um, a lot of really rich culture and history that cannot be covered on those websites. So that's what they wanted to uh, showcase mm-hmm. here. And also, there are a lot of resources and materials that are fantastic um, that JSS owns or a lot of breweries and, and distilleries across the country owns, but they're just scattered around. So they're kind of hard to access. So they wanted to create a platform where they could just archive them in one place. So mm-hmm. it's easier for people to see. Oh, I said, and that's, that's one thing that even when you, even when you're here and you have access both in physical distance and in terms of language and you can mm-hmm. access this stuff, mm-hmm. you still find really cool, fascinating things in some just random archives all over the place on the internet it's all the time. True. That it's like it's such a shame that nobody has access to this or that nobody knows this is there. You'll find a YouTube video that somebody from just happened to upload eight years ago that's from something that was taken thirty-five years ago by this one person who happened to be at this organization that might have turned up and it's really cool and it has 18 views, you know, and it's right. just in without you know a translation without the context it might not mean a lot to mm-hmm. everybody in the world but it's just there's just stuff like that all over the place that just offers really cool insight and yeah. so to just have that all those things sort of collected into a single place I just thought when I when I first saw this it was just really exciting right just conceptually yeah for sure yeah it's great to have everything sort of put together like you said um, in a platform because a lot of the times you know if you don't know what you're looking for you can't really look for something, mm-hmm. you know? And then a lot of these, um, you know, historical records and, you know, works of art and resources that you've compiled here, I wouldn't have sort of imagined going out of my way to specifically look for these things. And even if I wanted to, I wouldn't know where to start, yeah. you know? Right. So it's just yeah, amazing. There's no keyword search there's for no like all of these. Search, it's like, you know? <laughs> like, especially if it's not archived online yeah. or if you need to go to a certain brewery, but you know, who do you ask? You don't just show up yeah. at their brewery and be like, hi, do you happen to have a, you know, video footage from 45 years ago? Totally. Well, that's <laughs> like, what, well, there's the, where there's the corner we were just talking about before we were getting started. There's the corner. It says, it says museums around Japan, which is uh, basically uh, information about, uh, it's usually a lot of sake breweries or other shochu distilleries that have some other space or some dedicated space that has a museum like mm-hmm. space or something dedicated right. to like an archive or yeah an preserving tradition or showing old yeah. tools or whatever and some of those are they're hit and miss some are better than others but like sometimes you just wander into some of these places and you just find the coolest something even if the whole you know the production as a whole 
might leave something to be desired. There's just really amazing bits and pieces of things. You might, why do you have this videotape door? I, why yeah. do you have this book or why, you know, and you right. just you stumble across stuff all the time, but you would never know unless you wandered into that space at that brewery and happened to look in that corner of things stacked over. In the yeah, thing, you know? for sure. So, so, I mean, this is my other first impression with this was, this is clearly a massive undertaking. Uh, as uh-huh. far as <laughs> <laughs> to say the least um, yeah I didn't realize how massive it got in the end <laughs> but yeah it is it is quite massive mm. right so at the out so then when you got started how did you sort of settle on when you, when you sat down at the beginning did you kind of talk about how did you settle on what this should be um so I think the most important Part was that it's going to be a visual-based website. Uh, a lot of text is on the other websites, so this is going to be visual. If if you're not that interested in sake or the information itself, you can still look through and enjoy it uh, from looking at these artworks. Mm. Um, so that's one. And um, also, we were given requests mm. of uh, topics that they they wanted to cover. And they being JSS. JSS. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah, JSS wanted to cover. And just for those, JSS, the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association, Association which, yes. is, yeah, which is where we are now. So, yes. So they wanted an. So they wanted a video archive because they have a lot of video materials, and they do have a YouTube channel or YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, they just wanted to select cultural videos for this website and archive them here. Um, and they also wanted to create that the the museum list, the list of museums around the country, which I'm actually quite surprised that didn't really exist before. Yeah. Um, and they also wanted to have ukiyo-e exhibition that was set from the very beginning mm-hmm. and something to uh, reflect the modern culture mm. in Japan. And, yeah, I think they also wanted something to do with the region, uh, mm. environment, and, and farming. Mm. Okay. Agriculture. Mm-hmm. But evidently, you've taken that order and kind of gone, you know, over and beyond. So um, right. do elaborate, please, on how you sort of developed your strategy, if you will, with how you came about, you know, deciding on what, areas or topics of interest to cover um, because this is quite an ex- extensive you know, <laughs> um, both categorically as well as um, in depth mm-hmm. for each of the categories. So what we planned for the museum on our side was um, ukiyo-e was given and they wanted something uh, more modern. So for the modern part, it was pretty easy for us because, you know, because it's also an ar- um, an archive of sake shochu. Okay, I should use the word uh, archive for kokushu, mm-hmm. um, cultural stuff, uh, cultural archive on kokushu. So um, we wanted to cover film, um, comic books, TV shows, that kind of modern media, and to bridge the gap. That the time gap, mm. ukiyo-e is Edo period mostly, and the modern time is now. So mm. 
I wanted something to bridge the gap in between. Mm. And that's how the advertisement came, uh, advertisement exhibition yeah. came. And initially, I wanted to do a feature on the posters from early 1900s, which is mm. quite niche. Yeah. But they're very beautiful. But as I was researching about the ukiyo-e part, I learned that a lot of ukiyo-e's had aspects of advertisement. Mm. So I thought it would be more interesting to see how the sake and shochu advertisement evolved over time, from starting from mm. Edo period to now. So that's how it turned into an advertisement exhibition. No, those are and those are super cool. There is there's a total overlap in there. If you were to just like click on say the ukiyo-e site or page or the advertisement page, the content that pops up on both of them looks very similar initially unless unless you unless you scroll down and start looking through mm-hmm. it. Once you look at the advertisement, it starts to diversify a lot more. But right. initially the stuff that pops up it's clearly come from a very similar place, you know, artistically, I guess. Right. And I didn't realize how so I I wanted to use that as a, a, a bridge to to um, connect the time gap, but later I found out that it could also be a good um, bridge for for the contents because you can just like look through, read through, or look through the ukiyo-e part first time, and then uh, reach the advertisement advertisement exhibition, and then read the commentary. You have a different perspective when you go back to mm-hmm. the ukiyo-e exhibition, so you can enjoy that exhibition twice from different perspectives. And the same with the media exhibition, you can look at the media vision first time as just pure media, but after you read the commentary on the advertisement, you can also see a different aspect of those mm-hmm. media uh, pieces. No, these are that's. I like that you emphasize the visual aspect of this because it is even if you don't read any of it, mm-hmm. it's just really really cool to look at. Like, even true. if you don't understand sake or shochu, just aesthetically, it just feels very good to sort of just soak in. Right. There's the material, like just it's scrolling true. through here. It's really, and I, I love the categories. And it's interesting that they were like broken the, the way you broke them down into different categories. So. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm looking at the um, Gyoe one now, but it's, you know, and then within there, it's broken down ca- how to enjoy sake or the seasons, sake and rituals, drinking habits, drinking animals, the buying and selling of sake that like right. each of these have an individual category and they're all actually, when you look at them it, without that context, you look at them, you go, oh, it's all lovely ukiyo-e Japanese-like prints mm-hmm. with sake in it. But when you actually have the context of those different subcategories and right. you look at it, it's like, oh, actually, there's very specific intent in the creation of these that you maybe don't notice right, right. without that with that, that sort of curation. It's true, yeah. So we wanted something that was fun to look at but interesting to actually read mm. with those pieces. So... Yeah, I really like the bridge that you built between the ukiyo-e gallery and then the archive of different uh, works of advertisement, mm-hmm. uh, historical works of advertisement. I can, when I go back to the ukiyo-e gallery, I can now see how there is, you know, um, a promotional element to right. their composition or their the way that you know they've 
sort of depicted the sake. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer just, oh, a historic piece of painting about sake, but you can kind of see, oh, wow, like there's this artist intent in the drawing or capturing the moment as such, you know, in a in a somewhat promotional manner in some of these works of art. Right. Yeah, ukiyo-e used to be, ukiyo-e is very close to modern-day magazines. You know, a lot of it is advertisement, yeah. and same with ukiyo-e. They have a lot of popular uh, actors mm-hmm. and concubines, uh, mm-hmm. and then behind them you see these popular brands of sake. Mm-hmm. You know, something similar you can you can find something similar in magazines yeah. as well. It's a very subtle way of, of advertising yeah. products. And the other reason I really like this too is because the only factor tying these things together is sake, quality or being a famous artist or whatever. Like that's, it's kind of thrown out the window, right? I mean, I'm sure there's lots of works by famous artists in right. here, but it doesn't have to have any certain quality. You right. Know? So right. You, when I was looking, I found like, I just see a lot of pictures that I found just really, really interesting. Like they're just inherently interesting because it, you just, you wouldn't really see them. Otherwise mm-hmm. people, somebody probably wouldn't pick it out if, you know, to show you say, Hey, look how beautiful this is because right. it's maybe it doesn't contain all the elements that people would normally expect in that type of, right, you know, right. in, in ukiyo-e or something from Japan yeah, or often whatever. Those are the most interesting. So. Because it's it's just something so mundane to to them that it's so unfamiliar familiar to us, you know, two hundred years later, um, that you know, like finding out what the story is behind these pieces, we can find out so much more about the, their lives. Well, not really. Especially to. the drinking habits. It tells you a lot about that. <laughs> yeah. So the ukiyo-e part. I wanted to show the consumer's end, which is the first half, and the the producer's and um, distribution end, which is the second half. But in between, I wanted to put some like comic relief, so that's why I put the drinking habits and 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 animals drinking yeah. party. Oh, it's amazing. And I like that it's called the unchanged drinking habits. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same. Nothing <laughs> has changed. Nothing right? at all. Right? It's, uh, yeah. yeah. And someone took time to actually make artwork out of it. It's, it's, it's so human. It's, you know? Yeah. It's yeah, beautiful. It's, it's amazing. And, it, you know, like, I think even today, Japan is seen as a quite tolerant country yeah. towards drinking and drinking yeah mishaps yeah but you know it all started it it, it, it was there already in Edo period yeah yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. just haven't changed absolutely absolutely so i guess go, going from the shifting over we'll go over to the second advertisement then it does like you said it does start out a lot of the early ones tend to be ukiyo-e or something of, mm-hmm. of that nature i also i imagine it must have been hard to one get a hold of some of these things and then two get the okay to actually be able to put them all in the same space and do this. Right. So there were so many pieces that we couldn't really put on this website because we couldn't get approval. Um, older stuff is easier because, you know, copyright is already expired. And and if you if you get an approval from the owner, it's it's okay. But so, for example, posters with famous people 
who are still alive, it's very difficult. Uh, um, there's some multiple approvals we, we have to get to showcase those mm. pieces. Yeah, it's it, the advertisement exhibition is very interesting in terms of the, evol- the development of mm. advertisement uh, over time, but also each of these uh, advertisement pieces also have history and that makes them interesting. That makes them more than fun to look at and uh, interesting. I love how you can sort of walk through the progression of how the times have changed, how the way people have dressed have changed, how advertisement is being portrayed have changed. Um, as someone who used to work in advertisement, I appreciate the element of, you know, like a cross between artistic and commercial aspects. Right. <laughs> and it's just great to be able to see not just one or two odd pieces, but sort of a whole progression of what Japan and its consumers and the sake industry went through. Mm-hmm. For sure. Later, like a more recent one, like the Ichiko posters. Hmm. I was looking at that. That's, there, that's cool it's it it really shows the power of design and art mm. to change the 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 impression of a product right yeah because i don't think chochu was was considered as such a, a fashionable drink um and then they come up with these very artistic posters and, and commercials and change the image of the drink itself which i think is very very interesting and neat. Mm. Very, very cool. pivotal, I think. Mm-hmm. That's very wow. cool. Just the production value of this little clip that we're viewing now for from Ichiko. Mm-hmm. Just some like groundbreaking work, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the actual videos are not on this website, but we put the the link to Kappa commercials for uh, Kizakura, which are very, very popular, maybe were very popular when I was growing up. Uh, yeah, it's right here. Yeah, because they have an archive on their website, oh, so you can see a number of their <laughs> wonderful uh, old TV commercials from the 50s. Who is, whose is it? Sorry? Kizakura. Um, Kizakura. Kizakura. Mm. Is that in the media one or in the... In it's advertisement. It's an advertisement. Oh, yeah. I totally remember mm. growing up seeing these kappa ladies. Mm-hmm. How do we even translate kappa? <laughs> They're like this mythical creature that's kind of like a cross between a turtle and a like an aquatic human. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so go ahead and yeah, Google they're, yourself. Yeah. A, They're like what, unicorns. Kappa. They're like creatures from fantasy world mm. that live in in water and you started getting stuff like you know the recent you know uniqlo t-shirts right and things like that a lot you know, of, of mon- modern developments yeah, um, stuff where it's with collaboration with you know popular video and, games or mm-hmm. things like that you know it's, yeah and takashi murakami right yeah yeah, yeah, big, yeah. big artist famous absolutely. artist absolutely absolutely so I mean, and you're actually you're starting to see a lot more now. I'm curious, are are there plans to sort of expand or grow over time, especially like the, I mean, the sake and advertisement, the media and sake. I mean, that's 
there's new stuff popping up all the time. And there was right. even just events, even just in the last year or two that were sort of interesting collaborations and right. Like there's a, there's a, a lot of room to, I guess, continue to sort of preserve some of this stuff. Mm, it's, it's all up to JSS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if they decide, I mean, yes, there are a lot of possibilities, you know, there's so much more material. We could only pick just a few, but Yes, it's their site. It's their decision. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Right. But as as is, there's so much material mm. already. So Totally. Yeah, I mean, no shortage of resources, right. you know. Um. So I'm curious. So let's uh, let's dig into media and sake here for a minute. So I'm curious, how did, yes. how did you settle on, I mean, sake so, plays a role in so many things. How did you settle right. on which ones to include for this? So, so this is actually... In basically in two different sections. So one is more like an archive of uh, documentaries and specialized um, pieces. And the other side is uh, uh, works that don't really feature, feature sake or shochu or aomori, but how it's drunk or what kind of role it played is depicted. So there are a lot of materials from like 50s, 60s, because more people drank sake um, than now. Nowadays, for good or bad, the variety of, of drinks expanded so much beyond sake and shochu. There's beer, there's whiskey, there's yeah. all these different drinks. So modern works were harder to find, but I wanted to include them so that you know, sake and shochu are still part of us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Tokyo Story. I mean, to attach, I mean, that's a super iconic film. Yes, right? yeah. Tokyo Monogatari. Oh, such a beautiful. Right? And, yeah, sake, in Tokyo Monogatari, sake plays a really important po uh, role mm. in, in kind of reflecting the family relationship. I think there are three scenes separately that um, they're, when they're drinking in the story and each of them reflects, each of them shows a very important reflection of the family mm -hmm. relationship. Um, yeah, and for a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of TV shows and movies. I realized that. So, for for example, when I watch Korean movies, they always have scenes of people drinking soju mm -hmm. at a restaurant. Everyone, you know, together, mm -hmm. like taking shots, mm -hmm. and it always makes me want to drink soju afterwards. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to find movies and TV shows like that in Japan for sake or shochu alone. It's for for young people. It's usually beers or sours um and sake has you know like small cups so it's it's visually easy easy to identify what they're drinking but for shochu it's hard because you know it's in a glass uh it's clear um unless they say out loud what they're drinking like um you know mizuari or oyuari or something like that visually it's really hard to tell that they're drinking what they're drinking is shochu in, I think it's a very effective way to promote products in these movies, but Absolutely. they need to work on how to showcase the drinks. <laughs> yeah, how do you how, how 
how do you define it, right? Mm-hmm. You you know when somebody's sitting at the bar and right. has, a, has a glass of whiskey or a glass of bourbon or something right. like that. Like you have an association with what that looks like and yeah. everything that goes along with that experience. Right. right. Like I said, sake is super iconic in that right. way. Right. And also, Awamori is easy because it has such a, a strong regional identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you see a movie from Okinawa, you know immediately yeah, yeah, yeah. it's Awamori. And when you hear the music, you know immediately yeah. that what, what they're drinking is Awamori. Yeah. But yeah, sake and shochu. Well, sake... Not so much, but shochu, definitely. Yeah. Right. And also shochu, as many of our listeners know, are made from many different ingredients. Mm-hmm. Right. And they can be drunken, drunken, drunk in different styles as well. So mm-hmm. perhaps that versatility uh, is making, is presenting itself as a challenge right. in oh, contextualizing sure. shochu in totally. media. Like it didn't, I didn't even think about it. If I'd seen someone drinking a tall glass of clear liquid mm-hmm. with ice cubes in it, I would have assumed it was water, but you're right. It could be shochu. Right. It could be, you know, not just shochu, but it could be imo shochu, soba shochu, whatever other shochu, you yeah. know? So uh, how to present and effectively portray mm-hmm. um, shochu in media is really quite a head scratch. Right. Yeah, that's that's one discovery I made mm. from the process. There is a movie called Rokugatsudo uh, no Shimai, which was shot entirely in Kagoshima, and the people in the movie actually speak in Kagoshima dialect. Mm. But they they have a lot of scenes where they drink uh, imojochu. So that was great. Yeah. <laughs> did you go through and watch a lot of? Did you watch a lot of movies I, in the process of this? I did or watch music or everything. TV shows, dramas, and stuff. Nice. Because I felt really. Yeah. Um, guilty introducing something that I haven't really seen. Yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. And any any personally personal good discoveries, favorites? Yeah, from whether it's movies or manga or TV shows, or is there anything that you stumbled upon that really resonated with you personally, irrespective of its right. role in the museum? Well, no definitely, because I I don't know if I would have found it if I wasn't doing. This project, yeah. I, I I had to actively search for a movie or TV show that depicted shochu um, or shochu drinking, and it is actually a quite good movie. I really liked it. Nice. All right, should we start? Should we look at production a little bit? Because this, and I looked at production. Is it, when you, were, you were talking earlier. You know, you said what, what? There are a lot of other sites that already tell you about what sake is or how sake mm-hmm. is made or you know there's a lot of text out there there's a, so when I looked in production I wasn't sure what I was going to find and I was pleasantly surprised <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about what we've got going on here um well I think these movies are mostly or videos are mostly from JSS resources mm. so they had them somewhere <laughs> But they just didn't really know um, how to put them together, so yeah. they just archived it here. And well, I'll tell so for all of our listeners for the production: go to the traditional production page and watch the Kimoto movie from 1980. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> no, I'm like I'm serious. I, I I like tears the first time I saw this. Like no joke. Like wow. It was, Wow. Like, it's incredible. 
1980. This is like, I, it's, I, I, I won't say anymore. Just, yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's, I'm, I'm so glad, I'm so happy this exists. This is, this is super special. It's really, really cool. Yes. Go, go watch that. So it's 30 minutes. You'll be, right. you'll be, you'll be, when you need a refresh from, you know, something at work on your lunch break, watch the, watch the yeah. video. So we, I think we are, we, yeah, we are discussing about uh, putting the write up of this video because it's very, very technical and it's from the 80s and it's also from, from Nada. So they have a dialect and it's, yeah. it's quite hard to understand from just listening to it. So we want to put a write-up and also uh, some notes, like footnotes, mm. for technical terms. So it's easier or you can get a lot more out of the video. Yeah. Absolutely. The context for kind of exactly what everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah, it would, be, it would be kind of nice to have like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a narrator, but like almost, you know, some. Yeah, for sure. You know, to sort of offer a bit of context for what you're seeing, you know? Definitely. Yeah, because I think it's it's a very important historical resource, but mm. to actually understand it, it will give you so much more. Absolutely. 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 And I guess then the other thing that really surprised me is that the content of the traditional production page, 80% of it is music. It's true. Which is incredible. It's a recent addition, yes. This is incredible. It tell is me tell me about this. Absolutely incredible. Yes. So I was always fascinated with sake brewing songs because nowadays playing music at your workplace is completely prohibited. Um but they sing it. <laughs> Which that alone is amazing. But, you know, they, they used songs to time certain procedures or to synchronize certain procedures and also to bring their spirits high because it's a very tough physical labor um, that goes on for half a year nonstop. But I didn't know there was such a rich resource. And thanks, and this goes to, well, thanks to um, Sakata-san, Sakata Yoshie-san, mm who's this amazing woman who single-handedly collected all these songs back in the 90s. She traveled across the country, visited a lot of different uh, toji associations and asked them to sing them for, for her so she could record them because she heard that these songs were vanishing um, when sake brewing became more in industrialized. Mm. And she got very worried that they're going to be um, forgotten forever. So she just wanted to keep a record of them. And there are... So she ended up publishing a book that comes with four CDs, a set of four CDs. Oh, wow. Yeah, so nearly, like around 100 songs from different regions of Japan. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess for people who are looking at this, it's if you're not familiar with sake or sort of the context or the language of it, you might not notice, but the a lot of them are broken down by region, uh, by guild region and things mm -hmm. like that, right? You have different toji guilds in different regions, so you might have 
song specifically for a certain task for say preparing the starter right but then you have 10 different versions which are not different versions of the same song they're the versions from each guild associated with different regions around japan which right. is amazing yeah. I, didn't even, I, honestly, I didn't even know that a resource like this exists i had no idea that right. someone had actually done this this is this is amazing yeah that the publishing company is already out of business and oh wow yeah I don't know how you say Zeppan in English. Discontinued? Uh, yeah, so the book is discontinued. But I really hope they revive this book and the CDs because it's a wonderful resource. It is. It's just incredible. Like, I didn't know that there was such a rich collection of these production songs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these songs are something that you come across every now and then when you visit um, one of the many sake museums. Um, like the ones found on the Museums Around Japan page here on the Digital Museum. Um, but it's kind of always just been an odd phrase or odd video clip here and there. And I had never, I was never aware that there was such a rich, expansive collection of different, from different regions, from different producers. And I haven't even gotten through many of them, but it's just incredible work. And to... And to have um, this lady, Miss Sakata-san, mm. go around and collect them herself single-handedly. This yes. is so, like, it's such a historically significant work. Right. Um, and I also recommend the commentary by, um, I forget who, he was the, the former director of Gekkeikan's uh, Museum. Okay. So it's a on top of the sake brewing song section. But he gives a lot of information about the background of these songs. And a lot of the times, sake brewers were um, seasonal workers because they usually brew sake in in winter. So during spring and, and summer, they had different occupations, usually like fishing or uh, farmers or forestry. Yeah. So... Some aspects of the songs they sang in fishing or forestry or farming came back into these brewing songs, which mm-hmm. I thought was very yeah. interesting. And that, that might have very regional influences, well, mm-hmm. too, I could imagine. Right, for sure. Very cool. Very cool, very cool. Can you, can, can you understand all these? Have you deciphered many of these? No. <laughs> <laughs> can I imagine going to be a challenge for things no, but, but they're beautiful yeah and and some of them are just amazing singers i mean they're yeah. all very good but some are just mind-blowingly yeah. amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. and yeah. i think just imagining going back to that time where they they sang these songs and walking by a brewery and hearing these songs from inside it's just I don't know, fascinating. I wish I lived in that era. Mm. Right? It could come back. It could, <laughs> it come, could back. come back. Hopefully, yeah. It's, well, it's, it's funny because people, a lot of people I talk to, they they hear stories mm-hmm. like of this happening. There's not many, but there are a handful of producers that have, right. you know, reinstated the practice or whatnot. And so, and that becomes, clear, you know, that speaks to people, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a message that gets out there when they're speaking to not just the domestic, but the international community. Right. So now I, I have to get people to 
actually start coming there. Well, they, well, people would come. They all, almost expected like, do you sing songs? <laughs> you know, they're almost expecting it. Whereas it's actually like right. super, and super, super, super rare few case. Producers you know? nowadays do. Um, but it's but putting it out there, like you right. know, and just letting people know that it is a real thing that has existed for mm, a long time. Right. Yeah, you know, maybe that'll feed back into you know. To practice again, right? Yeah, and yeah, it's yes, it strangely makes the whole process more human. Yeah, maybe because the songs vanished when it got industrialized. Yeah. I have this like weird skewed image of these songs, but yeah. just singing to unite the whole, you know, like the whole crew yeah. seems so so human, right? I mean, everybody could probably use a little something like that right about yes, now. Yes, yeah. Sure. <laughs> we should start singing. We could, we could do that. We should do that. Should we come up with a sake on air song? We sing. We, instead of the standard introduction, we should <laughs> we should sing ourselves in and sing ourselves out of tune. I don't see why not. Could, you, you could talk me into that. <laughs> and Miho-san, uh, right before we started recording, um, we were talking about these collection of songs, and you mentioned there are some breweries now who, um, for whom this um, production songs have had gone out of practice, but they actually listen to these CDs and these songs to sort of try to revive the practice at their breweries. Right. Yes. Um, I don't know if I can name names. <laughs> but <laughs> A cryptic, drop some hints. <laughs> in what region or... Well, Justin knows them. Where is it? Where's that? <laughs> I, the, I, probably the, the brewery that's the most iconic, the most associated with the actual practice of right. is probably uh, Terra de Honke yes. out, out in Chiba. They, right. they, that's become something that is very clearly associated with them in, mm -hmm. their, in their work. And then yeah. from that, I think that what they've done there is it slowly sort of trickled out to other breweries that are, oh, that's that's actually really great, you know, right, something that right. I think a lot of uh, other breweries yeah. re respect the, the, that they, that they took the time and energy to make that integral to what they're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not really sure if it's, it's like, I don't know if they, if I can mention that they actually practice it from this city, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what I heard from Terada-san. Yeah. But, um, very cool. Yeah, I think it would be really interesting if some breweries sang modern songs instead of these traditional totally. songs. <laughs> totally. That's what I'm saying. We'll, uh, we'll take these, we should just sample the, the yeah. old stuff. Right? We'll just mix it up. Right, like we'll, why not AKB? We'll, right, we'll, we'll sample, start sampling this stuff. We can, get, we can get Kanye on one of these, pull in samples. Right. Is it Kanye the, or just Ye? Ye oh, it's right. just Ye now. We can get Ye on this, doing some some, Ye some, on some sake, sake. Song, <laughs> samples with some sake beats right. and some gospel and some everything all in one place. It'll be yeah, it's true. welcome to 2021. We're just putting out an invitation out to Ye now. Yeah, he's <laughs> welcome to come join our show. Since he's always, you know hitting us up on Instagram and stuff. It's you know? true. There are <laughs> enough musicians in the, the industry, the sake industry, that they can probably get together right? in the summer when they're not working or right? making right. sake. Pull something off. Pull something <laughs> off. Cool, cool, cool. So, yeah, so we're going to have to kind of wrap up here a bit. Next like we can spend a lot of time digging through all these. But I guess, just right. yeah, just kind of... Was there any 
what was just kind of your takeaway from just doing this? What did, what did you, mm. you, you brought this to the world for us. So thank you for that. What did thank this, you. what did this do for you in the process? What was your takeaway? Right. From? So before we wrap up, yeah. can I quickly mention the producer page? Please do. Because <laughs> that's, that's the latest addition to the, okay, cool. the, the museum. And I quite like it. Cool. Um, it features the, the producers who produce um, ingredients to make sake, shochu, and awamori, or actually sake and shochu. And these are the people who don't really get much attention, um, but they're always behind each bottle. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to give a format that breweries and distilleries introduce their their producers so that we can see the connection between the brewery and distilleries to the producer and also the the region and the the, the ingredients and producers so and and also this is the only page where we see actual human faces that's true, um, that's true. everything else is just something created mm. and it gives kind of like a human touch and more you know kind of like a feeling of real reality or i don't know how how to to call it but kind of kind of brings it home in a way like yeah ties it ties it into something that's closer to home i guess right right so mm. for this page we're trying to increase um we're we're planning to add a bit more yeah very cool in the future very cool very cool so what did i what did i learn from this creating this thing there's just so much so much out there um, and there are a lot more ideas for I have a lot more ideas for exhibitions yeah. but yeah just so little time yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's okay Imara-san just showed up so now we can so, where there's there's more the 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 Kokushu Digital Museum is going to grow over time, right? It's going to continue to grow. Yes, is that the plan? Okay, good. <laughs> you heard it here first. With the Madison's you blessings. heard it here first. That, okay. The fixer says yes. So, very cool. Yes. Neil, thank you so much for taking time to come join us today. Thank that was a lot for, of fun. Thank you for inviting me. I hope I was coherent. No, that was amazing. <laughs> That was amazing because ever ever since I was, I've been picking through this, you know, since I first found out about it mm -hmm. like a couple months ago, and then, you know, leading up to it, I've been sort of looking through it a little bit. Right. And every time I look through it, I get a little bit more from it, and it was really nice to actually sit down and get your perspective to right. do that today and to look through that because now I'm, I I'm seeing now it's kind of we essentially got to go on, or and all of our listeners as well. It's kind of a digital tour with the curator in a way today. Absolutely. You know. So. Yeah. It, it actually, you. it really that added a lot to for for me as well, and so I'm excited to go back and dig through this stuff. Oh, so. Thank you. Yeah, yeah getting your take on like you know behind the scenes really did add another layer of perspective and appreciation. So thank you for that. Thank awesome. you. It's cool. it's massive. So just don't do it in one sitting. Just yeah, keep coming back. Yeah. <laughs> good, good, good advice. Good advice. Sound advice. 
Thanks for tuning in again this week here at Sake on Air. Please do feel free to go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever it is you're listening to Sake on Air on. You can go ahead and follow along with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at, at Sake on Air. We've got a whole bunch of content up on our YouTube channel. Or if you have questions about this show or any of our shows or anything it is we're up to, feel free to reach out to us at questions at sakeonair.com. Sake on Air is made possible with the generous support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and is broadcast from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in the heart of Tokyo. The show is a co-production between Export Japan and Potsuke Productions with audio production by Mr. Frank Walton. We'll be back with more Sake on Air for you in just a couple of weeks. Until then, kanpai! <laughs>